Okay, you guys ready for the word? <laughs> All right, if you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 12. We're going to read this two different accounts of this story. Okay, the first one that we're going to read has more detail about the beginning of the scene. And then the second one we're going to read, which is in Matthew chapter 26, has more detail about what happens directly after. Okay? So while it might be long, uh, just imagine yourself in the story. And if you were there in the scene, what would you be thinking? What would you be feeling? Because these were real people with real emotions. And this was one week before Jesus went to the cross. Okay? You guys ready? Let's pray. (laughs) Let's do that, okay? Lord, we thank you. (laughs) Oh, you're always, you're always here. You're always eager to be here. And as much as you are with us in every moment throughout the week, you love it when your people come together. We just thank you for being here. And we thank you for your attention on this moment. As much as our attention is on you, your attention is more on us. And we thank you that you have the words of life. And then when we open the Bible, these aren't just history. This isn't just history that we're reading. They're words of life. So we just invite your spirit to come and breathe life this morning in Jesus' name. All right? John chapter 12. Starting in verse 1, okay? Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of of pure nard and expensive perfume as she poured it on Jesus's feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and as keeper of the money bag, he would help himself to what was put into it. Okay? You guys good so far? All right, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to read what happens directly after this. Now, in Matthew's account of the story, Judas is not mentioned by name. It just says his disciples were indignant. Okay, 
But then we're going to see how Jesus addressed Judas's objection and then what Judas did in response. Okay? All right, you guys okay? Matthew 26, starting in verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured out on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. This is a story about two people, Mary and Judas, who made life-defining decisions in a moment. One became known for her worship. The other became known for his betrayal. One became known for what she gave to Jesus. The other became known for the price he was willing to trade Jesus for. Okay? It's, it's interesting that this was the moment that pushed Judas over the edge. Okay? We're told that he was a thief, that he liked to help himself to the money. And so when he saw this extravagant offering he became, and, and Jesus' response to it, he became angry. He saw all this being poured out on Jesus, and there was nothing in it for him. And so he went to find out what could be in it for him. Okay? So we're told that Mary's offering was worth about a year's wages. Okay, most of your translations will translate that to 300 denarii. Okay, a denarii was a silver, a Roman silver coin. Okay, 300 Roman silver coins. What was Jesus paid? 30 silver coins. Okay, if they paid him in Roman money, his price was 10% of her offering. Okay, if they paid him in Jewish money, it was 30%. Okay, either way, it was a very small amount. Okay, but I don't think that it was about the money for Judas. I think that Jesus's worth to Judas was always, what can Jesus do for me? And what's in it for me? How can Jesus make me prosperous? How can Jesus make me powerful? How can Jesus 
make me wealthy. Okay? So when there was nothing, he, he saw all this being poured out on Jesus and there was nothing in it for him. He went to go find out what's in it for me. Okay? Are you guys okay so far? Okay? I wonder if this moment for Judas was not just about him being angry at the price of the woman's offering. I wonder if it's because of Jesus's response. And when Jesus said, she is preparing me for my burial, because that wasn't supposed to happen. Jesus wasn't supposed to die. He was supposed to be king, and he was supposed to set up his kingdom, and his 12 apostles were supposed to reign with him. So I wonder if Judas went out this time and went out to see what can I get for Jesus because he realized that everything that he had been following Jesus for wasn't about him. And he realized, hey, this is going a direction that's going to be hard. It's going to be harder than I thought it was going to be, and it's going to cost me something. And that's not what I signed up for. I signed up to follow him for the glory, for the power, because I thought it was going to be easy. And that's not how this is going. Okay, are you okay? <laughs> um, so Jesus said, if I, so Judas said, I'm going to do that a couple times. <laughs> if Judas said, if I cannot get the outcome I want, then it's not worth it. Okay, we always think Judas as this villain. You know, he's the bad guy. We could never do what Judas did. And maybe we can't do what Judas did. But if it's true that Judas lost hope in the outcome that he wanted, think about the times in your life when you lost hope in an outcome that you wanted. How did you feel? What, what were your emotions? How did you wrestle with that moment? Okay, what have we been willing to trade Jesus for? What cheap offense have we held on to because we didn't get the outcome that we wanted from him? What cheap distraction have we chased after because we wanted someone else or something else more than we wanted him? What cheap treasure have we counted because it had a form of godliness, but it lacked power? What cheap compromise have we negotiated with the world that has reduced his worth to us to what's convenient or what's popular? What cheap lie have we believed where we've traded his worth for our unbelief? What is our 30 pieces of silver? When, what was our price where we gave up for a few moments and traded him and his worth for the thing that we wanted? Okay? It's not so easy when we're in the shoes of these people you know, that we think are. Um, when our faith is in an outcome 
and in what we imagine Jesus can do for us. We will trade him for the thing that we most want him for. Okay, let me say that again. If our faith is in an outcome and what Jesus can do for us, we will trade him for the thing that we most want him for. Okay? Are you guys okay? <laughs> okay. So just before that night, when Mary came and poured out her offering on the Lord, she also faced a moment where there was an outcome that she was disappointed in. Because Mary's brother, Lazarus, was sick. And his, she, she and her sister, Martha, sent an urgent message to Jesus that said, hey, the one that you love is sick. And rather than rush right back, Jesus stayed where he was for two days. And then by the time he came to them, Lazarus had been dead for four days. And so for four days, Mary and Martha had wrestled with these questions. Where was Jesus? Why wasn't he here? Why didn't he stop this? So that when he came, they both had the same question on their minds. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even though they met him at different times, they both said the same thing to him, okay? And so the outcome was not what they expected, and Jesus' response was not what they expected it to be, okay? So they had to face this moment too, and when Martha was, Martha was the first one that went out to him. And when she went out to him, she was seeking understanding. And so Jesus told her, Jesus gave her a revelation of who he was. He said, I am resurrection. And then he told her what he was about to do. Your brother will rise again. Okay. So then Martha goes back to Mary at the house and she says, hey, the teacher is asking for you. Okay, so Mary gets up and she runs out of the house. And the moment that she sees Jesus, she just falls at his feet. And she says the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But Jesus's response to Mary was different than it was to Martha. He didn't give her an explanation or a revelation. And I think it's because Mary didn't require one. See, she had questions. She had disappointments. Because when Jesus first returned, it said that Martha went out to meet him, but Mary stayed where she was. Until Martha came back and said, hey, the teacher is asking for you. And she remembered the first time we're introduced to Mary in scripture, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus learning from him. So much so that Mary comes in and complains, hey, she's just sitting there and she's not helping me. And Jesus defended her and said, she has every right to sit at my feet, which was scandalous because women were not allowed to learn from Jewish teachers. But Jesus gave her a, a, a place at his feet. He said, I am your teacher. And it was the place where she, ne she never felt so empowered and never felt so known. So she's like, if he's calling me, I'm going. 
And the moment that she saw him, all of her questions didn't matter anymore because he was worth more to her than the answer. And so she put herself in the posture of surrender and she put her questions at his feet. And her action provoked him to action. And rather than give, him an, give her an explanation, he gave her a demonstration. And he said, where have you laid him? And he goes to the tomb and he says, take away the stone. And Martha objects. And he says to her, did I not tell you if you believed you would see the glory of God? And I wonder like how many times in our lives that we've been sitting in a situation that seems hopeless, it seems lost, it seems like it's over, and he said, I want you to remove the stones that are blocking you from seeing more of me, from expanding your capacity to know what's possible, and to surrender what we thought we wanted and grab onto the greater thing that he wants to do. And how many times have we walked away and said, and he's saying, if you can just believe me and do this one thing and take away your idea and take away your imagination and take away the stones that are holding you back, if you can do that, you will see the glory of God. Okay? When Mary went to him, she was seeking understanding and she received a revelation. When Mary went to him, she went in abandonment and he gave her a demonstration. Okay, both of those are important. Both of those are surrender. Both of those received a response. Both of those put their faith in the person and not the outcome. And both of them saw the glory of God. Okay, they're both important. Are you guys okay? <laughs> okay. So Jesus didn't put Mary and Martha through this just to test their faith. He did this because in about a week, he himself was going to be put in a grave. And he knew that his followers were going to have to face an outcome that they didn't understand and they couldn't grasp. And he knew that their faith was going to be tested like never before. And he needed them to know the revelation that he gave to Martha. I am resurrection. He literally named himself resurrection. When he, when in the scripture, when it says I am and then a name, that's like he's literally saying my name is resurrection. <laughs> he needed them to understand when he was put in the grave, my name is resurrection. And then he needed them to see the demonstration that I have the authority to carry this out. Okay? He was preparing them for something greater. Okay? Are you guys okay? So when we hold on to the person instead of the outcome, we will see the glory of God. Okay? So this moment at the cross happened during Passover, okay? And a couple of weeks ago, I talked about Passover in the midnight hour. And I talked about how 
Passover happened at midnight, and the Hebrew, the literal translation of midnight means when the night divides. And the way that the, the Jewish people look at Passover is like when they, literally, when God divides the night. In other words, it's this moment when God distinguishes himself and his people. And he does something so powerful that, it, that it's this marking moment. It's this dividing moment where you enter the night in one state and you leave it in another. Okay? The cross was this ultimate dividing moment. It was this ultimate moment where God distinguished himself and his people. It's this ultimate moment where we entered it as one thing and we left it as something else. Because when it began, it looked like it would be the greatest loss in history. And by the time it ended, it was the greatest triumph in history. Okay? So while this was happening, there was a short window where you could worship in this short window between the time that you knew he was going to die and the time that he was resurrected, there was a short window where you could worship and you could see his worth before you saw the victory. Mary was the only one that seized this moment. She was the only one that said that saw his worth before she saw the victory. Okay, does that make sense? Are you guys okay? <laughs> All right. So she brought this extravagant offering and she poured it out, preparing him for his burial because somehow she knew he was going to die. Even though everyone else was not getting it yet, she understood it because she's like, if he's named himself resurrection, he has to pass through death. And if if my brother is going to live, if I am going to live, if my sister is going to live, if my family is going to live, then he has to die. Okay? She understood the moment, and she surrendered the outcome. She seemed to be the only one that wasn't caught up in this expectation of what she thought the kingdom would be. (laughs) she's just like, I only want to be at your feet. I only want to hold on to you. I only want to see you because you are the kingdom. And she seized this moment to worship and see his worth no matter the outcome. Okay? Does that make sense? When it was the darkest, when it looked the most hopeless, when it looked like nothing good could come of this, He's still worthy. (laughs) And I will see the glory of God. Okay? You guys okay? (laughs) I I think that we are in such a moment. Um, And regardless of how you feel about that, in your personal life, there's always those moments when it looks hopeless and what, how do we respond? What do we want to be known for? The one who worshipped or the one who traded him for the easy thing, for the convenient thing, for the cheap substitutes, 
okay? So later that week, <laughs> that same week, Jesus' disciples were around the table during the Passover meal, and it says that there was this discussion among them, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? <laughs> who's going to have the, the position of the most significance? Who's going to be the most powerful? Who's going to be the greatest success in the kingdom? And as they were doing this, Jesus got up, and he wrapped a towel around his waist, he poured water in a basin, and he began to wash their feet. And he said, this is the greatest position in the kingdom. At their feet. This was something Mary understood a week earlier. She's like, my greatest position, the greatest position, the place I want to be above everything else is at his feet. Okay, and I know Jesus was talking about the disciples washing one another's feet. And yes, that is the greatest position is when we wash one another's feet. But we can't do that if our greatest position is not at his feet. That's where we're most known. That's where we're most empowered. That's where we see his worth. And we can't see his worth. Um, and we can't know our worth until we see his worth. We can't go lay our lives down. I'm telling you, you know, if if you're a parent or like you've just been with Jesus long enough, you know how hard it is to lay your life down. And if you don't know your worth, it won't happen. So it all starts by seeing his worth and then you know your worth and then you go and show other people their worth. Okay? All right? That's the greatest position in the kingdom. <laughs> One more thing that Mary understood um, when she, what her act of worship demonstrated is it says that one version said she anointed his feet with oil. The other says his head. She did both. Okay. But when she poured the oil on his head, she was anointing him as king. That's how you anointed the king. So while the disciples are sitting around waiting for him to become king. Gee, Mary's proclaiming, you are king right now. You are king today. And while we're sitting around waiting for him to do something, to become something, to have this demonstration that we're waiting for, we're waiting for him to become something he already is. And we get to declare, I don't care what happens here, I declare in this moment who you are before I see the victory. Okay? All right, you guys. There's three things. Uh, I'm almost done. Uh, there's three things just that we can take away from this. Jesus' worth to us is revealed by what we're willing to trade him for. Meaning... We can see his, what, what's revealed to us is like how much we think he's worth is what we're willing to trade him for. Jesus' worth to us, to us is revealed by how much our expectations cause us to lose faith in him. And Jesus' worth to us is revealed by how much our pursuit of greatness eclipses our outpouring of gratefulness.
Let me say that again. Some of you are writing. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Jesus' word to us is revealed by what we're willing to trade him for. Jesus' word to us is revealed by how much our expectations cause us to lose faith in him. And Jesus' word to us is revealed by how much our pursuit of greatness eclipses our outpouring of gratefulness. Is it great is it greatness or gratefulness? Are we always looking out here for what he will do? Or do we know this is who you are right here in this moment? No matter what I see. All right, let's stand up. <laughs> uh, we have we have some time here. <laughs> Listen, we're n- we're not here just to have worship and a w- like songs and a word and you know just a program. Like we're here to encounter the living God. And that's what it's about. So we have some time. So I want you to like go back and I want you to like, I want you to come and tell the Lord, this is who you are right now. No matter what I see, no matter what the future holds, no matter what my expectations are, no matter what my disappointments are, I don't want to trade you for a cheap substitute. And this is an opportunity. There is a window of time. You can start there, Eddie. This is a window of time where you get, you may not have like a moment like this. There's always the moment that you can come back to him. But there's a moment before you see where you get to declare who he is and his word to you before I see. This is a moment where you can come and lay down all of your cheap substitutes and say, I just want you. I just want you. I just want you. I just want you. We sing about it today. I just want you. All of my distractions, all of my compromises, all of my lies, every lie that I believed that, that where someone told me I wasn't worthy. In the shadow of his worth, you find your own. Okay? So you guys can come up here. You can just get somewhere where you can just encounter the Lord. I feel like there's people who come in here all the time, and the minute that they open the door, they're like, the Lord is here. And this is an opportunity for you to encounter him like you've never encountered him before. for you not just to testify about him but let him testify about you